Welcome back to the Granite Zero podcast. As always, before we kick off this episode, quick shout out to our sponsor, Kent CBD. CBD is scientifically proven to help with all manner of things, from aches and pains in your muscles and joints, to your mental health. It also helps with your sleep, eating patterns, etc, etc. The list goes on. The benefits are literally endless. I use Kent CBD. So check them out and put in the promo code GRANITEZERO for 10% off at checkout. You're welcome. Now joining me today is an outstanding man. That's the only way to describe him. His story takes twists and turns from the army to the criminal underworld, to prison. Now reformed and spreading positivity and helping others to sort their lives out. So without further ado, welcome to the Granite Zero podcast, Rich Jones. Check it out. recorders he ain't fucking about yes this, this one's fucking recording now mate yes they're on it mate yeah we're fucking we're cooking mate we're cooking squared away isn't it? Com- yeah let me just pull the box out of my fucking ass and make sure i'm comfortable <laughs> we're good oh, massive um the missus is from philippines she's got a big fucking um plate of noodles and chicken and and stir for vegetables. I just yammed a lot before it came out, and I thought this is gonna fucking do me right in now. So I've got my bottle of water. I'm ready, mate. Just You're ready. <laughs> you'll be uh, you'll be falling asleep. You'll be going like that in a minute. Fucking hell, I'm in a food. Uh, uh, it'd be it'd be half an hour of me just fucking catching flies. Catching flies, <laughs> mate. Rich, welcome, welcome to the Grand Zero Podcast. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome, mate. It's, we've been waiting a while. But how long have we been waiting to get this? It's, it's, a, it's a good few months, isn't it? A good couple of months, mate, if that. Yeah. I know. Busy, I know I've been, I, it's just been stupid busy, mate. But it's been... It's like everything I've been doing is, is a lot of waiting. Hurry up you know, and like wait. It's like in the army. I'm up and wait, isn't it? Exactly that. And and that's what it was. It was when I was inside, I, I did my veteran support and everything was planned and... I wrote the program and the course about transition for veterans. You know, you know it's like straight. It's, not, it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Yeah, yeah. And um, the plan was to go and deliver that, and then of course COVID kicked off, and it's set about two years. So yeah, only cool. now is it beginning to to make a difference. You know, I'm, I'm in that, which is nice. Well, at least now it's starting to 
ramp up a little bit. Like, I'm sure yeah, it's look- annoying. I'm sure it's annoying at the minute how busy you are. You're like, I wish I had some fucking free time. Like, but when it's all done, you'll be like, I oh, fuck it, I smashed that. Yeah, I, I like that. The thing is, I don't rest until 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 I'm I'm happy. Things are done. Mm. Probably why I got fucking fifteen years for selling coke, mate. <laughs> I wasn't happy until things were done. So I kind of like with this, I just plowed into it, and I thought I'm not going to rest. I'm not happy. And I, people said, right, "How's it looking? How's it looking?" I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And I, I might be really close to closing the deal. So I'm I'm getting there. I'm giving nothing away because I think. Last time I was almost got there, we had a worldwide pandemic shut us down in you know, March yeah. 2020. But nothing's done till there's anything signed. So luckily now, I can't say which prisons yet, but I'm into two prisons now, two private prisons, G4S prisons, as far as I can go. And I'm now supporting veterans in custody. I'm, I'm, I'm delivering the program in one and I'm preparing to deliver the program in the other one. So it's just bedding in a little bit now. So yeah, it's, it's all good, mate. I'm... I'm finally there after six years of, of writing the program and planning. And you know what? Today I had a letter back, an email back from the CPD, which is the accreditation body that I'm using. They, they said, oh, your course is now accredited because I submitted it for accreditation. And that's just a massive thanks to SAFA and the Royal British Legion stumped up the money to help me out to get it paid for. And um, I submitted the course of accreditation. It's all that we'll get back in touch with any anything you need fixing. If it's not quite right, we can let you know. And it came back. No dramas. I thought e- either I'm spot on at writing programs or their standards are really, really low. I don't know which one it is. I'm going to go for low standards. <laughs> ah, don't put yourself down, mate. Don't put yourself down. Oh, I know, I know. Obviously. I know, but yeah. It was... Now, carry on, carry on. No, that's no, the... sorry, mate. Go on, buddy. No, that's, the, that's the thing about Zoom. I was just about to start getting into the old your old background and that, but if you've got other little bits you want to yeah. throw in at me, you crack on, son. That's the thing about no, doing I Zoom. Into it. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. if we were in here together, I would I would get the the cue yeah. not to butt in, which I love to do. Apparently, I love butting in. Yeah. So <laughs> if I butt in, you're just gonna have to tell me to just hey, wait your turn, motherfucker. But yeah. No, mate, you, you ask away, buddy, because we can get on to the other stuff at some point. Anyway, can't yeah, we? Yeah, no, dig, dig, it, it will dig, all, uh, dig, it will dig, all dig, flow mate. into it, mate. It will all flow into it, I'm sure. So, yeah, obviously, you, always does, mate. obviously, like myself, you're a proud member of the veteran community. Tank yeah. regiment, wasn't it? It was indeed, mate. Two of them, third tanks in 88. And then the wall came down and we amalgamated or we disbanded the third back out of the four that we have once one to four. We disbanded three and four and then re amalgamated three into with two, four with one. So we kept like the northern half of England and the southern half of England because one arch was predominantly people from the sort of like north of England, maybe the Midlands a little bit, mostly north of England, maybe Liverpool area. Four arch was always the Scottish, two arch was always the fucking Cockneys. And the London area, and then three hours, I was us, the Armoured Farmers. So, yeah, we had three and two amalgamated and one and four. So, in 92, we amalgamated to the new two RTR, which was good, but it was just, it was good and it was shit at the same time because we'd all kind of bettered ourselves. You know, you get to your regiment and you, you, you know where you are, don't you? You, yeah, yeah. you? you know where you stand in that unit, you know all the lads, and it was like a massive pissing competition again when you first amalgamate. So, everyone's trying to, size each other uh, who's 
who's the artist, who's the best looking, who's, who can drink the most piss. And it, it was really one of those kind of like a lot of standoffs in the nappy bar. And, and it just kind of like, it was all right. It worked out well in the end. We 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 sort of amalgamated with this this har- harmony between three and two, which went really well, which we didn't think it would, but it went really, really well. So all things said and done, it was, it was a pretty decent transition to the new regiment, but things had changed mate it was it slowed down everything was just you were saying it, it's not what it was it's not yeah, what yeah. it was it, it's not the army and, uh, and i don't I, I think a lot of people weren't prepared to adjust with the changes in the in in the new not so much new technology but the, just the new way that people were coming from the recruiting stations from the basic they're coming through gobby as fuck you know, really gobby am i all right to swear yeah yeah you swear as much as you want son <laughs> fucking yes get in there mate fuck yeah fuck fuck yeah <laughs> so, so yeah so because the kind of like all these new boys coming in from basic they, they'd been introduced quilts and you know, the red card system hadn't come into play at that stage but they were just gobby as fuck mate and it was i don't know it just seemed a bit why should we have to go for a load of shit in basic training and you not have to go for the same shit that we went through and yeah it yeah kind of created this bit of a not not a divide, but it kind of made it a little bit unsettling. I think these guys got the same level of resilience as we have. They did, yeah. of course they did, but we didn't feel like that at the time. So a lot, of, a lot of the decent blokes who were proper old school joined up in the say the seventies and eighties when I was there. They fucking knocked on the head. They took the brown letter and took the redundancies. Phase one, phase two redundancies. Off they went. They were gone. So yeah. all the decent characters, all the the ones which made that job worthwhile sort of staying in they just left mate they left and they left a yeah, very sort of i get that as well because even even because i joined up in 08 so mm. even then like we weren't going through the same sort of basic training as what the 90s and the 80s did don't get me wrong it was still hard as fuck yeah. we still got beastings but we would get like colored letters like you got if you fucked up once you'd get a yellow or whatever and then it was a buff Right, and then you'd go and see yeah. the fucking flight commander, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that mm. that didn't like stop like us getting fucking beasted press ups for no reason, fucking yeah, running around the buildings just just cause you know. But and then we then joined the squadron, and then it was similar to you. These new lads, the training system all changed, yeah. so they didn't do. So we would do uh, what is. Uh, basic training so that was 20 I think it was 28 29 weeks because infantry yeah so we did that and then we would go on to our further training which was we would yeah. call field gunners that's a fair bit yeah yeah that people fucking forget that with with the part of the big three fucking RAF regiment they're like yeah you guys don't do fuck all it's like hang on our basic training is a long fucking time we do the yeah. same as fucking everybody else. It's just we have that dickhead that said the five mile of death and we get all the shit. Um, but yeah, so you do that and then you do your further training. And then what they did do was they... The five... <laughs> yeah, the five mile of death. Yeah. And then what they did do was uh, they amalgamated it all together. So it was all one long thing. Yeah. So then it was, oh, you guys are doing the soft basics when they then came and then so on. But right. yeah. Totally, totally get that, mate. I think that happens with every so, sort of generation. Yeah, it's, it's, was it like, you know, because when you joined up, 
because of the era, i.e. lots of going on with Afghanistan and Iraq, you were, you're right in the thick of it at this stage, weren't you? Yeah, was yeah. basic training different and seen differently because of that? Because for me, it was just Cold War. We're going in for the Cold War. Do you War. know what's what, what funny? going to get pissed. Do you know what's funny, mate? We literally did Cold War tactics the whole way through. Yeah. Even down really? to even down to um, when we were on field gunners, we would do the snake of death with two at the front doing the coup de gras, etc., mm. etc. Et it was like, yeah. and then and then you'd get to then you get to squadron, you'd do your live firing, you'd do all the same sort of stuff, and then you'd go right, we're going on to pre deployment yeah. now, and then it all changes. It's like, why don't we just learn this in the first place? Yeah, yeah, more more yeah, vehicle patrol. Fucking IED checks, fucking etc. Pardon me. Yeah, because in in basic training, whatever you learn becomes instinctively natural to do, doesn't it? Because yeah. it rams into you that hard. So you, yeah, that seems nuts, doesn't it? Really, it seems nuts. But yeah, it is quite funny. So um, my first tour was Iraq, and uh, yeah. we basically we, we we deployed, and in fact, we did the same in Kandahar as well. We still deployed with a snatch, a snatch and a wimmick. Yeah. Which is like, hang on, th these were designed for Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> for urban areas. <laughs> yeah. We're now in the desert in a partly armoured Land Rover. Please tell me it wasn't still fucking green. No, no, no. They, they painted it. <laughs> they painted it a, a desert yellow. A lovely sandy yellow colour. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I guess when I got out, I kind of didn't know what I was letting myself. I, I don't suppose any of us know what we're letting ourselves in for, do we? But when you, when you sign that dotted line, I'm going to get out. It's, it's a, it's a very bold statement, isn't it? it when is, you mate. Sign, when you think I'm getting out, it's, a, it's, a, it's a definitive statement. You, you announce it to the lad. Usually, after you get back off a block leave, yes. you get back. You've had a really good leave. You are right, No, I'm getting out. I've had enough. This is shit. I'm not doing it anymore. And then you, you fucking march some up to RHQ and you go in there. Where's he going? He's getting out, lads. He's getting out. He's had enough. And everyone's saying, oh, you know. and then there was a load of us doing it at the same time. And you, you sign off that paper, you have your, your interviews and none of it gets you ready for what the reality, because you're just so looking forward to leaving it behind that you're not thinking about where you're going, are you? You're just thinking about getting out of the army and, and having a break from the discipline and the, the marching and the guard duties and the bullshit, which, which to be fair, wasn't that bad. Now I look back at it. Yeah, when you look back on top. it, yeah, you, mm. you, got, you got paid to not really do much. <laughs> Definitely, mate. And, and I think the trouble is you, you could get paid to do very little for two or three weeks and it'd give you one duty, one duty on, on camp. Because for, when, we, when I was there, we had to, we had to stag on, on on the gate. So we had to yeah, do yeah. camp duty. We didn't, we didn't have the guard, whatever they're called now. MPGF. Um, MPGF, yeah, we didn't have them. So we had to stag on. So you finish a day of doing nothing, usually hiding in the top of a tank with a, with a cloth in one hand and an adjustable span on the other hand. If anyone comes in, you, you're tightening bolts and cleaning sites with a coffee <laughs> on the go. So you finish your day's work, very loosely fitted description of, of work, and you go back, you start a duty, it, say, I think seven o'clock or half six, seven or seven, you've got to get your best combat on, pressed up, get spending, and you're staggering on for you doing two hours on, four hours off right up for the night. And that one, that one duty is what used to make the whole job seem shit. Yeah. 
that one duty, <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe one a month. You know, you you stagger and you think this is a shit. I hate it. It's not. It's just twelve hours. Yeah. But it made everything seem crap. What's funny is the amount of uh, squaddies that come out and then go into any line of security work, and it is literally twelve-hour shift. Stagging on. Yeah, Stagging I on. know. It's, yeah, and they're the ones which were winged like fuck on stag. Oh, I said, shit, I fucking hate this and shit. And they get out of here stagging. <laughs> and they're, they're probably also, you know, they're probably the really boring fuckers that can't hold a conversation. You've stood on the gate for someone for two hours. You want someone that can chat. Someone that oh, can yeah. Have a- you need. You need Need a bit of banter, oh. a bit of back and forth. Need yeah, something. not someone that just doesn't speak. It's fucking oh, mate. Yeah, <laughs> nothing worse, mate, than bit like even when I remember doing stag a few times and you'd do it with the MPGS lot. Fuck me, they have a fucking power trip as well because they're not they're not real. Are they? They're not real. They're no. not real. They obviously were no. at one point. They were they they were serving at one point. Transferred yeah, over to yeah. do God. Why would you ever want to do that? I don't know. But that just tells fuck me. me. Some of them, man, some of them, because they lose all their rank. So they lose their rank yeah. and they end up as back as a private. Or yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. his army, isn't it? So yeah, back as a private. And but they're still jumped yeah. up. You know, oh, will you fuck off and just let me through the gate? Yeah, I'm aware I've had. Like... I'm aware I've had too many drinks and I shouldn't be driving. Just let me through the fucking yeah. gate. <laughs> Let me through. It will be fine. Just let me go. But your car has been smashed up, mate. Yeah, don't worry. I'll park it on the square and worry about it tomorrow morning. Blame it on someone else. Standard practice. Yeah. Stolen. It wasn't me. Well, do you know what? We had, um, going back, it was in our camp in Hamer. So this would have been pre-92. We used to have a squadron do once. Say once every couple of months, which we all get in a nappy bar and get completely assholed. It'd be the singlies, it'd be the pads, the wives, everything. Just, just a big old party. And we'd be sort of pretty sloshed by the end of the night. And it, it normally wrap up about half 10, 11 o'clock or midnight. I can't remember, to be fair. I was usually drunk. And me and one of the lads, we, we used to decide we're going to go out and start robbing the local cars. We just we, we had this thing, it's bad now. Think about it. We what we. Well, and we came back in Hello again. How are you doing? Oh, that's me. Muted. As if that was me that died. What's that about? I think, yeah, you, you, I think you froze. My signal's still good on this. Uh, end, it's not, it wasn't yours. It was mine. So because I'm in the uh, shed, my, um, my booster doesn't quite, my, even my booster doesn't quite reach the bottom of my garden. So I've just, oh, I've just put it on the mobile data. So I, uh, think, so I think we got to the point where you're nicking cars. <laughs> we were... <laughs> We we were breaking in. We were we weren't even breaking into cars. The Germans are really trusting bunch. Now what they used to do is they would leave their some cars. They'd leave unlocked. We wouldn't we wouldn't ever actually physically break in. So we just walk around and try door handles all the time. And every now and again, one that pops open. Well, I fuck off, that Andy. So I jump in the thing. And what we found out was Germans, same as in mostly in Europe, when you get 
fined by the police for, say, speeding, they give you an on-the-spot fine. And it might have been, let's say, 90 Deutsche Marks for argument's sake. So what I found was you go into a car and a little folder underneath the, the sun visor, and in that is a little wallet. And in there, sometimes there's about, I don't know, 100 Deutsche Marks, 200 Deutsche Marks. And going to fucking open it up. Yeah, that'll do me nicely. Thank you very much. And I said, that's put my bear paid for. <laughs> so this one night, me and my mate, I nearly said his name, we went out and... We found a, he got a, I don't know how he got it, but he, found, he had a push bike. We found a push bike, found, <laughs> loosely, sort of found a bike, <laughs> push bike. Um, saw some speakers in the back shelf, of course, took the old back shelf because we couldn't be asked to fuck around taking them out. We found a toolbox in the boot of a car and we had a car stereo and we literally, he rode the bike in because he was a BMX. So I, I sat on the back with the back shelf in my back hand and a toolbox in one hand. And, and I think I was just balancing the stair underneath my fucking arm. We literally rode back through the gates at about three in the morning. Get the gates up, lads, in we go. Off to the block and just, just sort of put it down. It's driven down the the next day. So, yeah, that was just the mischief. High, I think it was, what did you call it? High spirits, I think the officers called it. It's high spirits. You're allowed to do certain things when under high spirits. So, right. yeah. Well, that's all right, then, isn't it? That's fine. Yeah. Play thieving, mate. That's all it is. <laughs> just, just tea leaf. Yeah, thieving bastards, mate. To be fair, um, where where I was based, I was based at RAF Foddington, and we had, uh, I think it was one Royal Tank Regiment. Yeah. We were, were based there for, for a number of years. Well, all the years I was yeah. there. Yeah. And every fucking Burns night, they would trash the fucking camp. We, we were literally told, lads, don't even bother going out. You know what's going to happen. You're going to end up fighting. Just let, yeah. him, just let, them, let them do what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, it's just like letting a dog go to town and like, just let it get on with it and just it'll finish. You'll get bored eventually. And just, they uh, they broke into our hangar and I'm pretty sure they got up to... Um, they got up to all sorts. I can't remember if they got into the squadron leader's office or not, but they definitely <laughs> broke into a few of the like outside sort of portal cabins and were just they just yeah. they just shat everywhere. They're like Amber Heard. They just fucking oh, dumps. Yeah, there's a thing about shitting. I don't know what it is. Now <laughs> we 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 that's the height easy. of that's the height <laughs> of all disrespect. Taking a shit. Somewhere. It is take a shit well this this you, you'll love this one we used to have this dj years ago and he would come to our camp and these squadron dudes that i mentioned he would come and he, he would do the thing and he'd be he'd, he'd wear the same kit every time he'd have a white shirt a white pair of chinos a bum bag and he had like a sort of mullet haircut and his music was shit whenever he made oh, a request he, he wouldn't play what he wanted he'd play what he wanted so he he came to us and he he played the disbandment do that we had for three hours yards. so the last gig we ever had he, he was invited into this all ranks do massive gig and he was crap as usual so what happened is someone wasn't happy with this so they knew that his van was outside we bring his kit in there so he went in the van he took a shit in his van <laughs> just in the back of the van so it's his massive complaint anyway coming forward about another let's say two or three years we're in our new camp in Fallon Bostle, newly amalgamated regiment. We have a squadron too. Guess who turns up? Oh, <laughs> same no. Guy, same, <laughs> van, same van outside. So I, I actually witnessed one of the lads, I'm going to say his name, Barney. If ever he says Barney, I saw it happen. Me and mate Matt, and he went in the side of the van, pulled the side door open, and he squatted down the back of this van. 
and he just called out the most pathetic little fucking piece of turd I'd ever seen. But he tried so hard to do a proper he shit. Was like, I'm definitely taking a shit in here, kid. <laughs> yeah, it, mate. He just dropped a tiny little nugget, and I thought, that it, mate. That's pathetic. You, in the end, I we just left stunt, it. Though, because if it's small, yeah. it can hide. You can hide that. Yeah, yeah, he won't know where it is. He might have even stepped in it, but I don't think he ever came back to the regiment after that. I don't think he did. Okay, well. so, I remember, yeah. I remember when I when I left and I joined. Um, I did I did a uh, cash and transit for a bit. Yeah, and uh, one of the stops that we had to do was uh, Houses of Parliament. Mm. Um, and I remember doing it, and I was like, I'm gonna go take a shit. I did it in a toilet, like a like a regular human, obviously. But I thought, yeah. do you know what? Fuck these guys. I'm not flushing this. <laughs> <laughs> took, took a photo of me, missus. Uh, not of me, missus. <laughs> me, missus. Took a photo oh, of me, what I'm doing. She was like, what are you doing? Went, <laughs> Taking a shit in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> Mate, that's quality. That's quality. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. Well, we <laughs> from, um, whilst we're on the subject of, of shit, so have you ever ever come ac- ever come across um, composite rations? Well, you would have come across composite rations. You yeah. ever seen a legendary compost yet? Now oh. we have seen some beasts. We've seen some beasts, mate. We in Canada in Bathurst, we just come off the prairie. So we've done three weeks on the prairie eating compost. And you get back into the camp in Suffield and you get to take a porcelain dump, which is nice because you've been basically doing a recce, a shovel recce for the last three weeks on a on a makeshift barrel for a toilet. And we were one last year, fucking hell, lads, come and look at this. And we came in and we looked in the toilet and someone had dropped dropped a log and it had gone down the U-bend. It had come up and it had hooked over the top of the seat. Jesus and Christ. It looked, and it looks like he'd had to break it off. Um, and we just, unbreakable. We just, unbreakable. We just thought, that is just impressive. He, that man has clearly not been for quite some time to yeah. produce that. Always at a lot of composite rations, but yeah, like compost, compost. A light, a very light, almost orange, brown color. That's, yeah. that's what mine used to come out like. It was like, what is that? Why is that happening? Yeah. <laughs> well, we used to sit on the prairie. We we would go for a, a, a mutual shovel wreck. About three or four of us. We'd have our shovels over our shoulders. We'd have, uh, we'd have, we'd have, because we're on the tanks, we'd have on the back these, it's like 20 litre drums, which you'd have oil in, but they're empty. So we would basically cut the bottom out. So you'd have a cylinder. I mean, that would be our toilet. So we'd have our, yeah, perfect. We'd have our little shovel over our shoulder, toilet roll, toilet roll hung on the hand of the shovel, your 20 litre can, and then you'd have a scrim scarf. And we literally walk out about, you know, 20, 30 metres away from where the tanks are, are parked up, dig a little hole, Put your cylinder over it. You all sit in a semicircle, and then you get your scrim net, your, your net, and put it over because of the mosquitoes. And you'd be sat there, we're just literally cammed up, just taking a, a dump with three or four of you, whilst the mosquitoes are trying to, to attack you. And um, yeah, fond memories. Of anyone, fun, mm, we've kind of gone off piste a bit, haven't we? <laughs> we have a little bit. We just got. We, wow, who cares? That's brilliant. Fucking, what did you game. talk about today? I'm going to go in later. My missus will be like, oh, how was the chat? And I was like, oh, it'd be brilliant. What did you talk about? Shit. We talked about loads of shit. We spent half an hour discussing various areas we can take a dump. Di- yeah, different areas of the world we have taken a shit in. <laughs> the worst being in Afghanistan, Portland. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it, mate. The heat. It's too hot. It's so hot. Yeah, I bet, mate. 
know. I mean, we 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 the, the hottest place I was operational, which doesn't really count, was Cyprus, and that was like basically six months on the piss. It was with, with the UN, and we were in the patrolling the buffer zone up and down between the northern and and southern, or the the Turkish and Greek Cypriots, and that was hot. But that that was lovely. That was six months basically. Two thirds of that was on the piss. You got sent and deployed on a lad's holiday. More or less, mate. Yeah. And do you know what made it even worse is each because we were there for the six months, we weren't we weren't privy to this before going there. When we got there, we were told by our commanders, look, guys, whenever you're on your we did a it was a nine-day rotation. We would spend three days on guard duty, i.e. doing the, the staggering on the gates, yeah. three days on patrol. And we'd have three days off. That three days off, you could go take some time out down in, in uh, Limassol or Ayanapa. Because we were going to be there for the whole six months, what they did is the, the regiment or the part of the UN, I think, they had these flats. We called it the troop flats. They had flats or, or basically a part of holiday apartments. But free of charge, you'd have rock up at them and just go in and get in. We had, they had something like, I think about sort of three or four different apartments dotted around these different resorts which you could go to no charge you turn up take the keys from the squadron office or wherever it was and fuck off down and have, have a few days off and that was just it was enough to destroy your career because basically you're thinking right i'm gonna have these three days i'm gonna be on on guard i'm just sleeping and stagging on three days on patrol it's just three days cruising around with the, the roof down on a, on a soft top pajero so you're just cruising up and down the island basically and then three days on the piss so I, I pretended to the um, I said this on another podcast. I I used to have when well, obviously I used to have hair, and it was dark. And because I've been on the island for a, a good few months, my, I, I looked like a local. I looked like a. I was going to say, like but you looked like a local. I did so much so that I told him I that I was. That's oh, a really bad lie, but I did kind of make up for it in the end. Is I was in a bar called Piccadilly's in Limassol. And I was just chilling out, and I and I think I was on my own because I I I loved going out. I just I, I really enjoyed. It. So I was chatting to the barman and got a gas face. So what's your um what's your background? There? So I'm here with the army. He said, yeah, I know that. I said, but you you know where are you from? I said, well, and I, I don't know why, but squaddies really love lying, don't they? And I said, well, we do love a lie. Yeah, we do. I said I'm originally from from here. She said, oh really? I said, I said yeah. I said, I said well, my dad was. And this is just straight from the head. So my dad used to be based in one of the sovereign bases back in the seventies, which which was plausible. So oh, right, yeah. And he said he met a local woman and said who lived in Farm Augusta. Now Farm Augusta was the biggest city in um, in Cyprus, which was contained within the buffer zone. The whole city is just abandoned. It's like you know, it's got car showrooms with brand new cars in it from the seventies haven't been touched. You know? So I said, yeah, my mum was just Farm Augusta. And said when the war kicked off, said she wasn't prepared to leave, but I'd just been born, so my dad took me back to England, and um, I never seen mum again after that. Horrendous lie, but actually, no, I've got all the local lads saying, oh, yeah, please, you're one of us, come and, come and stay with us, and eat with my family. They, they gave me a little job working in the bar, moonlighting, so I was getting free drinks all night, and I started to feel really bad, because they're really nice, and I thought, this is awful. I felt really bad, so there was a really nice family, it was called, the lab was called Paris, it's, it's holding Falling was Pariskova, I think. Really nice guys. He's, he's, I used to literally sleep at his house with his mum and dad and his brother. 
and we were chatting one day in, in their, their bestest English. And, they, and I said, you, have you always lived in Limassol? They said, no, no, we used to live on the north before it was invaded. I saw oh, that's such a terrible shame. And I, and I suddenly had this thing. I thought I could make up for my bullshit here. I could maybe do something good for them. So I said, look, do you know the name of the town? Clearly they do. And they said, yeah, this, this is the name of it here. So right, okay, look, what I'm going to do. So when, I, when I'm on patrol, because I get to patrol the buffer, I can do north and south, no dramas. I said, if your village is not too far north, I will go and find it. I said, describe to me, tell me where your house was. Tell me where it was. Tell me the streets, roughly where it was, and I'll go and find it. So anyway, I go back a few days later on, I get to the patrol thing. I've got my first strike, so they, some idiot put me in charge. So I was in charge of the patrol. <laughs> me and this other man. I said, right, mate, we're on a mission today because where are we going? So we've got to go to the north. We've got to find the village. He goes, oh, yes, I know where it's made. So we got, it's all on maps. It's pre-GPS. So we got this map, and it's in Greek Cypriot. And I'm looking at it for like, yeah, if we get, get over there. So we, we popped onto the, the Turkish half. But, of course, over there, everything's written in Turkish. So I've got a Greek map, and I'm not seeing the signs. Yet. So I've then got to go and buy a Turkish map. So I've got that, and I'm now looking at it. So, right, okay, yep, right, cool. So I found the village, followed their directions, and like, they drew a little map out in, in pencil or pen. And I found what I thought was their house, took a load of photographs on the um, 35 mil, took photographs local school. It's all abandoned, mate. Nothing, there was no one living there. The whole, the whole village was abandoned because the north of Cyprus at, back then was like a, just very, like a big military camp, if anything else. Yeah, yeah. So I found all these little locations around there. And that was it. I went back in, you know, three or four days there on. I come off of me, me patrols, off of me guard duty. I go back down to Limassol and I, I sort of found start. I give him this roll of 35 millimeter film. So there you go. Hopefully I've got it for you. And I've, I didn't think anything of it. So I'm on the piss and I go back and I go back to um, Nicosia again, do me thing, come back six days, seven days later on. I went there and her mum ran up to me, give me a massive hug. She was crying. She said, you found our house. You find our church. Hell. I found the fucking lot, mate. I said the fucking result. So I, was, I was kind of like, I didn't mind lying so much then because those lies have managed to get them photographs of their your, house. Your Cypriot mother me. must be proud of you, mate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. They literally left. They packed the bags and left, and, and it was literally in the same state that they'd left it 30 That's years, uh, 20, 20 years previously, thereabouts. So, yes, yeah. so then I got another family. So, oh, can you go over there again and get a photograph? So, yeah, all right, no worries. So, I did a couple of north south um, incursions, if you like, to get some photographs yeah, yeah. of these families. But I kind of felt like I should because <laughs> they were yeah. looking after me. Yeah, so you got a need to make up for, for this. Yeah, was, see, most people just nice make up jobs. Like, I'm a dolphin trainer or I put the lid on toothpaste and things like that. But no, you, you create a whole family. I, I created a whole family and I lied my ass off. And, and, and I don't even know why I did it. I didn't stand to the game much. I think it just naturally happened. It just came out. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that was Cyprus for you. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant, though, to be fair. As lies go, that is top quality. It was that a good one, mate. It, I, can't, I don't know where I'd class that as a little white lie or, or a horrible one. It's, I think it was one of these little fibs that kind of, Everyone wins in the end. Yeah, <laughs> no one's. Well, that's, a, that's a that's a win win in it. You got you got to so. you got to hang out with some cool Cypriot people and. Yeah, I got to, eat got to travel bacon. north for a bit and have a good mooch about some fucking abandoned houses. Uh, well, nearly fucking. Um, 
and who got right in the shit in Cyprus. We had this patrol. So you got different. You got three sectors which break up the buffers, and you got sector one, two, and three. Sector two was was us, the, the British. Sector three was um, Argentinian. Oh, not sorry, sorry, it was the Austrians at the time. Sector one was Argentinians. None of that was a problem. So you got the Trudeau Spaniards in Cyprus. Again, I'm in charge of this patrol. It always happens on my patrols. <laughs> so we've gone up to sector one in our little Pajero, right? and we've kind of like done our bit. We had to basically check into a few Argentinian camps, and then we had to get back, and, and a lad said, look, should we go for a little drive for the mountains? Like, yeah, let's go for the mountains. That'd be nice, because we've not really seen them properly. It was daylight. It was all right. It was a nice day. So yeah, no, fuck it, let's do it then. So off, off we go, and we're taking these tracks. A lot of Cyprus really is like dirt tracks. You've got your main roads, but there are a lot of dirt tracks. We're heading up to these mountains. We're just going to try and navigate our way through them a little bit. And we got fucking lost, mate, in the mountains. Because none of them, we were totally geographically embarrassed. We couldn't find us off on the map. We had nowhere pinpointing. <laughs> That's a, that sounds like my type of navin. I just... I just cut him off like a horrible dad <laughs> stop it stop it <laughs> go away son go away busy. Um, yeah for fuck's sake mate you can watch this back now he's now famous <laughs> so watch this um, so it's getting dark and, and we were trying to think well how the fuck are we going to do and the worst thing is we're running out of fuel we, we were on like let's say just over a quarter of a tank we, we still had to get a good 20-30 case back to our camp this is bad. So we're thinking, right, we need to we need to get up high so that we can find out where we're gonna be. So we at least want to see some yeah. lights of a village or something and see if we can orientate ourselves. So we're spending hours and we're literally going around tracks on the sides of mountains, which have had landslides down it. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. So we found this little track and it's getting pitch black. So all we got is like lights on the vehicle. We don't know what the drops on each side, and we're going up this fucking hill. And then we get a puncture. So we've got to deal with that. So we got to we, we, we sort of crawl on <laughs> the practice, mate. So we got to the sort of, as hard as we dare go on this hill, we could look around, we could see some lights down there, see some lights down there. And we thought, looking at the map, oh, that could be it, roughly, loosely could be it. So some probably, I reckon a good two hours later of like, slowly navigating through these mountains. And you're literally going around a mountain, hoping you're going to get, daylight or, or or the sign of civilization nope another mountain and you kept going round these trails yeah. snaking around outside of these mountains yeah. like like fucking highway of death in where is it south america somewhere yeah, yeah it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as that but it felt like that and eventually we came round and we just suddenly saw tarmac in front of us like oh and we literally got out of the got, got out of the vehicle i literally got down on all fours and just fucking kissed the deck mate and we got back but the problem we had we were out of comms we weren't in reach of anyone's comms because we're supposed to check in at certain areas. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. We're supposed to get... We're, our patrol's meant to finish at, let's say, five. It's now like 11 o'clock at night. So we're thinking, fuck, right. I said, do you know what? We got back. They didn't even fucking miss us, mate. They didn't even know we were gone. Fucking bad all that drills, track. mate. Bad drills, that. <laughs> I know, mate, but I didn't get much chance to be in charge of my child after that, mate. Who's on charge of this patrol then? Jonah? Nah, it's not happening, mate. No, don't let him go because it always either he goes north or he goes up in the mountains. Either way, he doesn't get the job done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just stick him on the gate. He'll <laughs> be all right on there. Because yeah, he can't get lost on there. Right. <laughs> this is literally less than one minute, so I'm gonna stop for the ads 
and I'll send you Quick the next Yeah, nice one, mate. I'll speak, see you in a sec. In a second. Right on, mate. I'll leave on this one. I'll, I'll, I'll see you in a sec. But I'll keep my recording this then, okay? All right, mate. And he's back. All right, bud. He's back. He's back. Yes. Let me just check my little bits recording. Um, yeah, that's It's good. oh shit, though, isn't it? Fucking 40 minutes. Yeah. Bollock. I know. Um, Bollock zoom. I know. I, oh, I wish I, I could have gone back to the shed. Yeah, I really don't understand why they've changed it. Like so many episodes I've done, and it's yeah. literally I've done like three hour episodes before, and we haven't. And had, just, uh, yeah, and you could just really, do it. strange, but it is what it is. Wankers. Zoom wankers. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Zoom wankers. So yeah, when in Cyprus was that when? Uh, other bits started to take take hold. Yeah, do you know what? It, it was do you know what the bit that I've got to be very careful I word this. Um <laughs> when I when I went to before I went to Cyprus, a lot of my friends were dabbling with a little bit of pot. And I really wasn't interested. I'm not a smoker, so I wasn't really that bothered about it. It, it didn't really appeal to me, although I quite like the idea of doing something which I wasn't supposed to do, i.e. the naughty factor of it the actual whole part of smoking, I just wasn't that interested in. And I, I just left that. That was dormant. And then I kind of, when I came back from Cyprus, it was, it was June 1994. And I got back on, you, you get your, your, your termination or your, your block leave, don't you, when you finish yeah. on the end of box leave, whatever it's called. So I went back to Bristol and saw my mates and they said, oh, we're all, we're all doing whiz now. So, what the fuck's that? It's like, it's this. Speed, I went, I've heard of it. I said, do you want to do a bit? I thought, fuck it, why not? Yeah, it's in for a penny and all that. So, this lad gave me a little, little uh, Rizzler it was. He said, just put it in your mouth. Don't fucking taste it. It's horrible. I just bomb it. Just, just drink it down. So, I like, <laughs> fucking yakking like fuck. It was disgusting and I got it down. I didn't think nothing of it. And then, we got into town and I, I was just having the best night. I was chatting like fuck, and I and I couldn't stop myself fucking gassing, mate. And I and I I just thought this is great. And I was chatting to these two okay. girls. I remember, I remember the conversation. Just I won't again, won't you say her name? But I was just literally knelt down on the floor on this table, leaning at that. And I was just chatting, and I just thought that it was this. And I didn't realise it was the the effects of the of the speed or the amphetamine or the whiz. I didn't realise that's what it did. I I just had this overwhelming sensation or, or, or feeling of euphoria and confidence which I'd never yeah. felt before and then I kind of like got really hooked on the idea because I'm squatted squatted we, we love a drink and yeah. I've, although I can more than then I could more than drink I could ha I could literally put away an obscene amount of alcohol and still be relatively with it I didn't like getting pissed up mate it just wasn't really my cup of tea Although I enjoyed getting drunk, it just didn't really appeal to me because it, it was all, I was never one of the sort of yeah, lads. I was, I was more interested in going out and having a good time and just, to be fair, I just want to get laid most of the yeah. time. That, that, <laughs> that was my, my primary focus. And I wasn't the sort of person that if it wasn't going to happen, I wouldn't go and kick off. I'd just go home and, you know, just, well, fair enough, another night. I've, I've, I've lived another night. So going out and getting involved in these recreate, sorry, I won't say recreational, drugs used on a recreational level, for me, it kind of introduced me to something which I really enjoyed. I thought, 
this is a kind of night that I really like. People are dancing, they're enjoying, they're chatting. That's way before ecstasy. So I kind of like, I was messing with it a little bit when I was going to yeah. leave. And, and I, I knew I was treading on thin ice because I thought, although Senna, after that particular leave, that one leave I went on and I'd done this, this speed on this one night and I, I met this girl, I think on the last weekend before I came back and I just, I didn't feel head over heels, but I, I really liked her. And it, well, yeah, it may, have been, it may as well have been head over heels in love because when you're going back to Germany, you, you pine for them. And you know, it's before mobile, mobile phones were back, but they were very rare. And it, it wasn't something I really knew or understood. I thought they were for special people, like the people with loads and loads of money. And that wasn't yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So comms was really difficult. It was like literally queuing up to the, the phone box in your camp with five Deutsche Bikes, just shoving it in and having a 10 minute combo. So it was really difficult. And I thought I've tried this relationship thing before so many times. It's just not working out. It's just not going anywhere. So I got back and I thought, you know what? I'm going to bin it. I'm going to bin it. And, and it was for probably one, because I wanted to give it a go with this girl. I wasn't the main reason, but that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. The other was I was messing with fucking drugs. If I get tested, CDC had been out for about a year. So if I get pulled, I'll lose yeah. everything. I'm fucking done for. So I didn't really want to get pulled. And the other one was, like I said, about the army changing. It just wasn't what it was. So these three key factors really played into my decision to get out. And really, it was meeting her. It was the reason I re I think had I not met her, I may well have not signed off or I just kept pushing it. So maybe meeting her was a good thing. So I may well have got tested and caught and kicked yeah. out. So... So I got out, mate. That, that was it. That that was the thing. And I think it's because I just wanted to, I just wanted to change. I just want, and and also as well, we we'd done Northern Ireland in 1990. We'd done the UN in in 93, 94. We'd missed the first golf because we were in Northern Ireland at the time. And I thought to myself, well, ain't fuck who else gonna happen now, is it? We're we're done. That's it. There's gonna what's the chance of having me getting in my tank and have some sort of operational duty again in my lifetime? If I even I thought if I stay in and do my 22. It's never gonna happen. Little yeah. did I know what's gonna happen. What just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, fucking hell, hindsight and that, I, I would have probably stayed in. So yeah. I just, I, I made a break. I made a clean break for it. And you know, I, you, you're so excited about getting out, aren't you? You're so, it's you're in like I was in like a dream state when I come out, and I thought, I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to not do all that shit all the stagging yeah. on albeit just once a month it, it just done me head in and I think the people were doing me head in a little bit and the job was just grinding on promotion is slowed down because of these amalgamations and everything else I wasn't going to get me second strike for another few years and I thought I was due it I was due my second tape and it was everything was blocked so yeah I was too busy looking forward or too busy worried about what was happy to leave behind everything to think about where I was going yeah, and yeah. then that's it, mate. I I came out and I landed in Civvy Street in the height of the ecstasy boom in in the mid nineties when all the clubs had gone mainstream, all these raves that have been going off in fields and warehouses and all these organisers are starting to get shut down by the police. So they were starting to go mainstream. They're taking these events to, to big clubs all around the UK. I got taken back by it, mate. I I got I was going clubbing anyway. I loved clubbing, and and I got I took my first pill round about. I think it's around about June. Yeah, probably around about June 1995. And and that was great in the club. But what really got me was the lads took me to a, um, we call it a rave, wasn't it a rave? It was a dance. It was, it was, a, 
it was Pete Tong's essential selection, and he's doing one on a Friday night, and it was in it was in the Milton Keynes Sanctuary, and the lads are saying, "Rich, you're gonna love it," because I'd never been to a proper event before. All I've been to yeah. like just, just clubs, and I got in this event, mate, and I fuck me, I felt like I felt like I landed somewhere which I really belonged, um, because by at this stage I've been taking pills for a few months. I think this event was the back end of 95 because I, I, I knew I had a certain car I bought this car but I, I had a I was doing surveillance I had, I had a black RS turbo van ops van a sleeper with a chipped engine it's a 200 brake escort mark 3 mark 3 escort van it was a fucking monster mate so that was what I had anyway when I did surveillance they gave me a fucking Peugeot Peugeot partner it was shit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not much good for anything. No. Yeah, apart so, from, so I got apart from looking like a pervert in the back of it, that's pretty much it. Yeah, you know, oh, we'll, we'll talk about the surveillance in a bit, but I've had a few of those. Um, <laughs> so I was, um, I got into this club, and do you know what? The music hit me, the volume hit me, and if you're doing a, not condone, if you're doing a pill in a club where it's a mainstream club where it's just a combination of different music, different people drinking, and that, it's good. But you go to an actual organised event where the sole purpose is dance music and everyone in that room is on the same level. I felt like I belonged again, mate. I felt like I belonged because I'd left the army behind and I had such a big gap in my life. Such a big yeah, void. Yeah, so did you, did you feel the gap? Because I, I, as much as I was looking forward when I was leaving, I was like, right, I've got a new life that is happening. Mm. I also missed... Well, I missed it for years. Like it took me up until recently, where now I'm sort of, oh, I've let go now. That's fine. Did you have that sort yeah. of gap where you left and I, was I, like, I don't. I, should I have done that? Or I did, but I didn't realize it at the time, mate. I was, I, I didn't realize that I wasn't aware of the void that was in my life because I was filling up mm. with stupid things like to, taking drugs or selling drugs, and I was just beginning to start doing some small time dealing around about this time, and literally, I. I I was just buying a couple for my mates and I, and the first pill I ever sold to, which was someone that wasn't my mates and it was at this Milton King sanctuary and I got into this and I was off my fucking tits but it was pink colours and really, they were really, really strong and I just felt like this was my new world and I really liked it because I just did and someone came up to me and they said, oh mate, you're right. I said, yeah, yeah, and I said, you're you're clearly off your tits. Have you got? Do you know where I can get a good pill from? I said, mate, I've got loads there. All that was three. I said, mate, he said, what is a tenner? And and, and I told him this pill for a tenner. I made a couple of good, but that was irrelevant. And the lads are saying, Richard, fuck face, you're waving a bag of pills in there. You're going to get yourself kicked out. And I just didn't care, mate. I was so. And I said this to other people before about hyper vigilance is a massive problem for me, and it was, and and it's not so bad now, but. Taking that pill, switched it off immediately. Totally gone. Yeah. Or it gave, me the, it gave me the ability to control it and it not dictate my emotions and my actions. Because yeah. I could just lose myself in the middle. And I could literally stand in the middle of a busy dance floor, shut my eyes and dance for about five hours and not give a fuck about anything at all. And I, I will go home feeling slightly worse for wear, but better for it in a sense. I've had, a t- I've had some downtime. I've had time to switch off yeah. from the the dangers the, the dangers that don't exist <laughs> yeah well we I've, I've i've never never really dabbled in any sort of pills or anything i've i've smoked a bit of weed before but that's about it um so is there is there much of a fucking come down of pills like you see some um drugs that they yeah. they have well, a proper they have the buzz and then they have like the crash is that the same with 
ecstasy and all the others. Yeah, it is, but it's it's not what you. It's hard to describe because we. I, I compared it to the come down from amphetamine, and that come down from that is fucking awful. Because bear in mind, your your body's firing all, all four yeah, cylinders. Yeah. You're charged to fuck, so you're not getting any sleep. You're restless as fuck. You've probably drank a load of beer, but you, you're not getting drunk. So you, you, your body is so many toxins in it that the next day you're just like you're numb. You're literally fucking numb, and you've got no appetite. If you've done if you've done speed, you've got no appetite at all. So that's a horrible come down. Base was a horrible, horrible come down. Ecstasy was kind of like you just feel tired and drained, but you feel tired and drained for several days. It, it takes. Even then, when I was young, like, like a in hangover my, in your thirties, <laughs> hangover, yeah, yeah, like, like, like definitely like a hangover in your fifties. It doesn't go, and it's but it's the tiredness. You got this feeling of like, how can it, it's like a sensation of emptiness. Mm. And I think I it's like you, yeah, yeah. because your brain has been so charged with with, with positive emotions and your endorphins, all the, all the happy stuff's happening that you feel fucking miserable. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what they say, isn't it? It's like selling love, isn't it? Ecstasy. Yeah. You want to try some love. Yeah, and it was, mate. Honestly, do you know what you've got? I've never had so many sweaty hugs as I did when I was doing that stuff. Big old fucking oh, mate. When I was selling them in the clubs, and you you you, you dish out your your pills, and these guys will shoot off, and the girls will shoot off, and it's always well, it is nice when the girls come and give you a hug because at that age of twenty five, it's just nice to be in that. And I'll go into that in a bit. But when you got a lad coming back and they're thinking, oh, mate, cheers, mucker, and that's fucking... And you know they're going to come back and give you a hug because you know that how you how I'm feeling at that time, they're going to yeah, feel yeah. the same way in about 40 minutes time. And then that thing about being a part of something as well is... And I've said this sort of on another podcast a while ago, is I don't know if you felt this. Whenever I used to go on leave, I although I really was quite welcomed by my friends i never really felt like i belonged anymore so I yeah yeah because really... they're, they're different they are and, and you're not current with anything you're not it's current it... with their conversation no you're not you're, you're when you're in the military you're in your own bubble aren't you yes like yeah when i was when i was serving you had the internet and things so you sort of kept up with current affairs yeah. and whatnot but <clears throat> it's as though when you go if you go back to basic training because we get broken down and built back up again we're all built yeah. back up in the same way. We've all got a dark sense of humour. Yeah. We're all very sarcastic. Yeah. We're all yeah. pretty much the same. Like, we're, we love a moan, but as soon as someone's ready to go, we're, we're switched on and we'll get it done. We're, yeah, we'll moan like fuck yeah. all the time. But then yeah. we, we'll still do it to the best of our ability, unless you're a shit cunt. Um, but then you, get, you go back yeah, with your civvy mates and you're like, brilliant. Yeah, you, you don't and, get and, my and, sense and of humour anymore. No, and they don't get they don't get you, do they? They just look at you no. and think, "Fuck me, this guy's a liability." And that, that's what I found was on lease. I never really felt like I belonged, although I I was never unwelcome. I just I just sort of like detached myself from it a little bit, and I just kind of did my own thing. But then when I came back and I started getting involved in in selling ecstasy, I created this world around me. And it wasn't, to, I didn't want to be the centre of attention. It wasn't about that. It was about just, I suppose, subconsciously filling that void again. And I created this role because I was medicating myself with these pills, if you like, to switch off to hypervigilance. I then created this world around because I was, for once, 
I knew what was going on. I was current. I knew what that person, I knew that these people were seeing those people. I knew these guys had been at a certain time. I knew what job they had because I'd go around and see them on the Monday and collect the money off. And so I kind of knew people again. And, and I felt like, albeit in a very false sense of security, I, they felt like you, that you belonged with them again, but only whilst yeah. drop your tick. I sort of get what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And then most of these people who are sort of like, um, you've got that one thing in common is, is that, that pill, the music and everything else. But when you, what you'll find is when you eventually sort of come back down to earth again, you've got very little in common with them. And you, you might find you actually don't, don't actually like them. You think, I mean, you're a bit of a bell end, mate. Yeah, you're you a know, fucking I'm, cunt. I'm not, where's, where's my money? You're... I'll love you. Yeah, I'll love you again on the weekend. The where's my fucking money? Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. There's no love. You pay your bill, son. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, it was, it was the ecstasy days where they were never turbulent because, the stakes were never, were, although the stakes were high with it, with it being a class A drug, the stakes were low with the sense it wasn't really in portrayal of any gangsters and villains. They were, but they they were more interested in the cocaine and, and the ecstasy market was more of like, you know, until I started getting involved in doing the multiple tens of thousands, tens, twenties, thirties, fifty thousands at a time, that's when it got a bit more serious because you're talking bigger bucks. But even then, the pricing on, on the pills at that stage, which was round about 98, 99, no one, it was like early 2000, sorry, just before I stopped doing it, I was buying bulk because there was no money left in them. It was fucking shit. And you're talking pence. So you, you might buy a thousand pills, might cost 400 quid. So you get like, you know, 10,000 is four grand. 50 grand is going to be like, what, 20K or whatever. So then you're talking bigger money. We're talking huge bulk. We're talking such small profit margins tiny because you're buying them for like say 40p a pill or 20p a pill you're selling them for 60 pills so you're making 20p on a pill you think oh, that's, that's shit so on on a yeah. thousand you're making like 200 quid and that's not enough it's just not enough mate because you've got to pay your runner some money you've got to pay your storage so i got out of them i just moved out i thought this is just no good so i thought let's hey, let's try cocaine yeah <laughs> i was gonna say did it. so if we stick on um ecstasy and that for just a sec yeah so sure did you have, do you have like a, because obviously the rules back then in the 90s are different to the rules now with bouncers. Obviously bouncers got yeah. to be licensed and whatnot, where back then it was a yeah. bit like the Wild West. Did you have like a, a rapport with the guys on the door where you're like, oh, we know this guy, he's all right? Yeah. Yeah, well, the club I was in, I was selling a club called Odyssey and I've been going to there since it was fucking Papillons before that. So I've been going to this club since round about 1987 when I was 17, before I joined the army. So it's a good year. And it was, is that when you were born, mate? It was, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I was just starting to engage in my first nightclub in. Hey. <laughs> not, not old at all. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the SAA badge came out, I think, around about 90, I think about 97. So I was already getting involved. So what we had was going into, the, into this particular club in Odyssey was... We had things, we used the phrase sewn up, if you like, because that's the one that most people will understand. And we had this little corner area called Pillhead's Corner, where we, me, I say we, a friend of mine left the forces at the same, just after me, and we kind of like teamed up. And we had it really good. So we, between us, we'd, we sort of like got two bar staff on board, uh, two, three, four doormen on board, 
We had the DJ, the lighting jock, and an assistant manager on board. So we had pretty much 50% of, or no, not a good core amount of, of staff yeah, yeah. were supporting us in the sense because they knew when we were selling those pills, now, there was no fucking trouble in the club. Not saying at all. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, element, good... if, you, if, you're on, if you're on love, you're just going to be hugging people. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to want to be kicking anyone's head in. Yeah. No, that's it. You just don't care, mate. And and we we had that good for a good two and a half to three years. We were doing that. There were doormen there, which which out of their sense of duty, they needed to get me, and I, I understand it. But they weren't aware that we we were paying everyone off in that club with pills. So every, the doorman, we had pills, bar staff pills, everyone pills. Give the manager pills. He'd bring the pills in for us in the, in the daytime. So we have to smuggle them through the door. Everything was done beforehand. It was all sorted. It was all arranged. So we weren't even selling that many in there. It's more of our own person. Most of my pills at that stage were being sold outside of the club. He would just yeah. bring in the pills we wanted. So it might be like maybe 30 or 40 maybe. And so the DJ was off his tits playing good music. The lighting jock was doing the same thing. The bar staff give us free drinks because they're off their tits. The doorman had our back. If, if we knew that we were going to get spun by the other doorman, they come and say, heads up, they're coming over. So we get a heads up, so we get everything tucked away. So it was, it was really good. I, I, you know, and I, I'm not going to condone it, but it was fucking good, mate. It was really, <laughs> it was really good. good. Highly illegal, but really good. <laughs> yeah, really good. And and you know, we we even they even put a clubs are dark, aren't they? They even yeah. put fitted as a new spotlight above our corner, which was on just a little fucking screwing light in in the roof. As soon as you get in there, I'd be up on the store and fucking have that kind of straight out of the wall, but out the roof, chuck it in the bin so it's still dark. So they they even every time they put the lights on us, we would get rid of the lights. So. Yeah, we did everything we could. In the end, they pulled me on. It was on my birthday in, when was it? 1998. They pulled me in on my birthday. I was fucking assholed. And I'd, I'd just taken a couple. I'd, I'd just literally ate my last two pills. or my last one. I was gurning my tits off. And the security mm-hmm. come and grabbed me. And they pulled me to the office. And I stood there. And, and I'm smug as fuck because I've got nothing on me. Yeah, and I got some money on me, but it's not a major amount because my birthday. And they're they're like searching. So look, we know what you're doing. I said we we have to we have to sort of like search you now. He said because if we don't make an effort to try and shut down the drugs in the club, we lose our license. So we're just doing our best. I said that's fine. You know, just you know, I've got nothing to hide. Just you know, fill your boots. Luckily, I didn't have nothing on me. And they 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 said now there's the main doorman there, and it it kind of. He didn't like the fact that he knew what was going on, but he'd, he'd also coined the phrase once, it's better the devil you know. And he yeah, went yeah. with that, that he, for quite a while. And then he looked at me and said, we know what you're doing. Don't let us catch you. I said, all right, no worries, guys. No worries. And I walked out of the office and that was it. After that, I stopped selling pills in that clothes. I think that was my warning shot. I think yeah, that was my yeah. warning shot. So I stopped selling this club. And by then in 98, my I met my, my wife at that stage and... She fell pregnant with our oldest in, in the following year, and he was born the following year. So my life took a totally different direction. In 1999, everything changed, mate. Everything totally changed. So that was the end of that era of the, of the ecstasy, if you like. And then you went, do you know what I fancy? I'd do a bit of coke. <laughs> I fancy doing cocaine instead. So I kind of like fannied around for a little while. What, what I did in... I went and got a job because bear in mind for those like I was doing surveillance now for about a year and a half, two years, but it was getting quite random because I was becoming unreliable because I was too busy coming down for the weekend. So yeah, I was yeah. really unreliable. So I'd signed on and, and I'd signed on with because my head was a bit shot anyway. I think it was 
I think I was suffering depression, but a lot of that was probably induced by come down from drugs. So I can't really say it was or for sure. So I went and got a job. When soon as I found out my, my wife was um was gonna give birth or at some point, I thought shit, I better sort of fucking life out. So I yeah. got a job within about three weeks. And I got a job working for a textiles company in a delivery van, delivering tea towels and and fucking overalls for workplaces and, and sheets and linen to hotels. And you know what? I loved it. It was so fucking stress-free. But I was also selling drugs as well. So I was then using the delivery van for dropping all my stuff off and picking it all up. Because oh, yeah. I had the perfect cover. It was great. So I, I then kind of started accelerating my plans and working in an environment with people. Everyone was smoking pot. A couple of people were smoking pot, driving his vans around, including me. So someone smoking pot. That's a link. Oh, where'd you get your stuff from, mate? Oh, so so I, I can I can get it for you if you want. So you kind of conversing with people at work, and then I've, I've tapped into a guy that was there had a friend who did some work south of Bristol, south of Bath, should I say? Fuck it, true, but just say it anyway. Um, so down that way, and <laughs> yeah. I tapped into some some guys on it, and I started supplying a couple of figures down there, and it, and it just sort of really started picking up. So um, in the end, giving up ecstasy and getting a job just accelerated things because I was meeting people when I was more compassmentless. So I wasn't operative. I wasn't coming down all the time. And I spent a good, I'd say a good two years just sort of fanny assing around, not really of any direction, still selling pills in bulk, still sort of selling a bit of cannabis and a little bit of amphetamine and just dabbling around. And I didn't really yeah. get heavily involved in cocaine until around 2000. I think it's 2001, end of 2001, 2002, when I really started doing it properly by me and another guy getting it in pure, mixing it up, repressing it and banging it out of the door. So that's when I got involved in it properly, 2002. And it was turbulent, to say the least, mate. It was horrible. <laughs> it was just a messy business. Yeah, because obviously the most insight I've got on that is fucking movies where it's coming yeah. in like you said, get getting it and then getting it to the dealers and whatnot. But even watching that, as cool as those movies are, you actually lived it. But fucking hell, I was like, I'm stressed out watching this. They're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna get shot or something in a minute. <laughs> it is, mate. It's you literally lived a movie. It is. It's, it's weird thing is when you live in it, you don't realise how stupid it is at the time. You just think it's your, it becomes your new your new normality. Yeah. And when you when you're meeting up with these gangsters and villains and and you've got different categories of people involved in drugs. You've got your businessmen, which are great. You've got your gangsters, which are a complete fucking nightmare. And you just find that you're navigating your way through these people to see who's the best person to work with. Who. Who's going to want to kill me the least if I'm late with my money? And that's what you got way up. You, the options of like, what's, where am I going to get the easiest ride as yeah. well as the best kit? And sometimes the best, the easiest ride and the best kit always came from the businessman. The gangster's mentality was lived a very short shelf life because of the problems that's inherited with that mentality. Yeah. With the business mind, always came the better kit. And they actually understood that people have problems. So if, if you... Let's say you owe 10 grand for say, and you owe 10 grand to a gangster. I've had people, they drop me something off on a Wednesday, let's say midday. By four o'clock, they're saying, you got any money yet, mate? Mate, I've only had it four hours. I've still got it in with me. It's not gone anywhere yet. Mate, do your best. I, I've got to get some debts paid because that's the other reckless. Because they, yeah. they, they calculate what they think they were and they spunk it. And then, then, they, then they then get on your case for their money, which they've already spent. 
So you're getting headaches before you even start. I thought that's just sorry, that's my uh, number plate light, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're getting a load of grief, and it's it's in the end, I found businessmen were much better because they will understand that if you say right, you're going to have seven days for this. I'll give it to you on a a Thursday. I want paying on the Wednesday. That's your seventh day. No yeah. fucking about. If you're gonna have a problem, let me know. Don't let me. Don't get to the case where you've had the kit, you've been sat on it for five days, and your mate's your mate's been nicked, so you can't sell it. Don't tell me on Wednesday that you still got it because that's bad comms. Tell me you straight away that you still got it. I could probably yeah, yeah. get it back to you, and then I could sell it and still pay the bill. That's how business will work. You communicate, although com- communication is bad because you're gonna you, you're creating sell site for, for, for if you get arrested. You still got to communicate. You got you got to sometimes balance out what's going to be the least. Well, damage limitation, I guess, is the best word is what what route am I going to take? Is going to least likely get me caught, least likely get least likely get me in the shit with someone else. What's going to get the kick on? What's going to be the biggest profit margins? Who you could you could sometimes have someone that is gets rid of a load of stuff, but they're highly unreliable because they're always out all the time doing the rounds, selling loads of stuff, but. They're off their tits. So trying to get all of them on a Monday and Tuesday is almost impossible because they can't even get out of their bed. They yeah. then get up on a Wednesday thing. Oh, fuck, I've got to round up 20 grand now. Fucking up. And, and, and they're running around like a blue-ass slow trying to get things ready. So then they turn up with you. The money's light. It's been slung in a caravan. They've not checked it, but they're selling loads of kit. So you charge them more. You charge them higher. But then it's, 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 it's a fine line. It is business-like, but at the same time, it's business with people which are really unreliable and really, really... <laughs> sort of unpredictable <laughs> yeah i bet the uh like the like you said the the bad guys the villains the gangsters the road men whatever you want to call them i don't know fucking i'm not down with the, yeah. the lingo they they must be I, I find them i find them fascinating like i find you fascinating because you lived it you're in the criminal underworld doing doing it it's just fascinating to me. It's yeah. like, one, how, how does that even happen? How do you even get involved in that sort of thing? I, uh, I, I've grown up, I've grown, I grew up in, a, in, in Hereford, which I do believe was the her- heroin capital of the world at one stage. Not that I ever got anywhere near yeah. that stuff. But I, I grew up as a, yeah. my, da- my dad served in the military for 22 years, part of, yeah. attached to the SAS as a jump instructor. Yeah. And then his next job, yeah, he was a prison officer. So yeah, I I was brought up fucking straight and narrow. Otherwise, you're in the shit. As much as I was yeah. a naughty boy in terms of, I'd go out and have a fight. That was that was my yeah. release. I I like the yeah. adrenaline rush of kicking someone's head in. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna make any bones yeah. about it. I was either fighting or <laughs> fucking. Um, but like, or both at the same. Yeah, yeah, just hitting her. No. I don't condone that. <laughs> that was a joke. No, no. Fucking PC police. Back on your bottom. Yeah. Back on your bottom. <laughs> Sof- softly. Time. I was softly giving her a donkey punch. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but that side of it, like, like for example, one of my dad's, well, one of our family closest friends was part of the, the drug squad in Hereford. So I was like, does that, re- that, does that stuff yeah. really, really happen? And he's like, yeah, yeah. But you lived it. You lived with these absolute nutters. Not lived. You probably didn't. Yeah, live with and them. I've come across a few. In bed with them, should I say? Yeah, I've, uh, no, I've been, yeah, you dirty yeah. slut. But you know what? They, they, 
it's, it's, it's all man love. They call it, it's like, um, they call it the underworld, don't they? And, and I, yeah. I've always tried to think, why is it called the underworld? It's like an alternate reality. And I saw something on social media going back a while ago, and it's about something different. Someone suffering mental health about living this alternate reality because no one knows what's going on inside that person's head. And you could be walking down the street and you've, you've got these things going on around you, which you, you have no idea they're going on. You could, you could be, you could have some guy walk past you and he, he can have half a kilo of Coke and 500 yeah. pills in his bag. And he's what he's on his way to a deal. So his mindset is totally different to what your mindset is. You're walking down the same road. You just maybe just grab a coffee and you're thinking about what to have your dinner. What you're going to have your yeah, dinner. Yeah. He's thinking, am I going to get shot, killed, stabbed? Where's the police? What's going on? Am I going to get the money back to this guy in time? Fuck me, no, he gives me phone again. He's in a different world and he's not allowing himself to take on the reality of his, of his surroundings. And I don't mean that in a survival perspective. I mean, to enjoy it. He doesn't know when you're involved in that underworld, you may as well be in the shadows, in the tunnels and these, because you're not noticing anything around you. You're not looking at the things which are nice. You're looking at the things which are going to cause you a problem or you should be. You know, that hypervigilance yeah. is, is activated all the time. So you know, if I'm going to go and do a deal, and I, it doesn't matter where, where I would have chosen the area because it didn't matter as long as it, was, long as it lent itself to be good for a, a meeting place. Mm. Not overlooked, somewhere we can both get good sort of direction and flow in and out, somewhere good, good observation, local area, anything which would lend itself to that, or in, in hiding in plain sight in a crowd of people in a really busy area. You're not looking at anything else apart from you're focused on the person you're going to meet, the exits, and, and that's it. And I suppose it's like doing a patrol in, in the forces where you, you're walking down the street. You're not actually looking at the street. You're not looking at the sites. You're yeah. looking for the danger, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it's like. You're in that alternate mindset, and you stay in that mindset forever. That's why drug dealers spend so much money and have such lavish lifestyles, because they're trying to ignite a passion for something. And, and yeah. they can't, because they've forgotten what it's like to enjoy themselves on, with simple things. So they have to up the stakes, go on jet skis, go on fucking boats, go and do crazy holidays, buy fast cars, because... It's the only way they can notice that they're still alive because they don't yeah, appreciate the fucking yeah, things in life. Yeah, it's like you said, it's very similar to being in the forces in that way. Where, especially yeah. when, I, like, I'll take when I was out in Afghanistan. You're walking down, you don't you you don't know if you're gonna get blown up, get shot at, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No. And then it's like yeah. you get home and you're like, oh, is this it? Cool. Yeah, you walk around a shop. Yeah. That's but it then. The, so you become detached. Yeah, reality. yeah. The, the, I noticed this, the, the, the thing of what you, like you said, where people are in their own bubble and they don't notice things yeah. around them. I noticed that when I did surveillance. So I'm out following a bloke who's supposed to be disabled, but isn't. I'm recording him. <laughs> I'm recording him. Yeah. I'm recording him because I yeah. did it for um, benefit cheats. That's what I, that was my surveillance. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm literally using your bog standard video recorder that you get from Curry's. I've got I got a covert yeah. one as well, but I'm sat there. Yeah. And I've literally just you just pop it out and then you record for five ten seconds what they're doing. Yeah, you flip it closed and you carry on. I was in London once and I thought, yeah. fuck it, I'm just gonna get it out as in like like I'm a tourist. Like a nobody, tourist, yeah. nobody pays attention to you, apart from no. once when no. I was in a park. <laughs> yeah and uh <laughs> yeah that was literally it that was literally i was i was filming the 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 subject getting getting and i and i had to go on i had my uh earphone in and i was like 
Um, just to let you know, I'm about to get possibly compromised. You might want to step yeah. in. So I like closed my camera and carried on walking. <laughs> they started to follow yeah. me with their phone ready to dial 999. And my, uh, my oppo stopped them and went, no, we're doing surveillance on this job. Gave them the job number, gave them our uh, IDs. and said, you can ask the police, we are doing surveillance in this area. And they were like, oh, yeah. that's lucky. We thought he was filming the kids. I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> I did have that myself, mate. I, I, I used to do surveillance for insurance fraud. Yeah, yeah, same. For bad backs. Same, yeah, benefits and insurance, yeah. Yeah, so I, we've, once I've been almost fucking, what's the, what's the word used? If a, if a crowd come to try and take you and take you away, hood, not hijacked, not fucking lynched, lynched. All oh, right, yeah. I, yeah. Was, um, I was over in Wales, over the bridge. And um, we had a couple of cars on. We had a van on the house, and the, the van man, ex guy from the regiment, said, oh, stand by, stand by, target's moving. It's an, it's an older chap. Say, oh, he's probably in his, probably in his mid 50s now, which makes me sound really old. And he was bringing his, his granddaughter to school. Now, he had to come out the house and walk down a long, sort of like winding path on, on a, a not main road, but a reasonably busy road, which came down to the school. And outside the school was a number of car parking spaces. So I, Drove past him for a plot up. Cameras were this big, mine back in the nineties, mate. They weren't little. Yeah, yeah. And I'd literally sit and I'll put the camera on the dashboard with a, a newspaper at the top of it or something, just to get some. Or I'd sit back in a seat and I'd film like this, just for yeah. fun, just to get something. I'd get him on a zoom. So I came down, I reversed into his space near the school for I'll get some footage of him walking down the hill. That's all I need. So I'm sat down, I'm fucking filming him like this, and he's walking down. I thought, yeah, got me. And then in the peripherals, I'm seeing people standing around, and they're pointing at me and look up there and I looked at them and they said what are you doing mate and I looked around I, I thought shot I was get a bit more footage said, yeah we got a pedo here we got a pedo <laughs> filming the kids and they oh fucking hell I'm like locking the doors I think yeah. fuck me this is not good now get a fucking pedo so I had to sort of like shut the camera down and, and drive off sharp and said oh, I've been compromised lads yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, done for me I'm see you later <laughs> yeah I'm gone see you back in Bristol yeah. So yeah, so I love the training days. I really enjoyed it. We had, uh, you'll know yourself, mate. Of, let's say I did a hundred jobs. Ninety-nine of those would have been fake, fucking yeah, yeah. You know, bullshit. We did one. We had one genuine one out of, out of the whole lot. We did. I, thought, I never saw one genuine one. But I did it for a good. It was a good couple of years, but I said it tailed off at the end because I was becoming unreliable. You're unreliable, mate. Unreliable. I know. Drug seller. <laughs> anyway, we're second break, mate, and then we'll uh, do one more, and then that'll probably be spot on. Anyway, here he comes. Do the fucking audio again, didn't you? Could turn your audio on, Rich. <laughs> Can you hear me right now? We can't. Hey, so annoying! Isn't it? I might, I might just pay for the upgrade. <laughs> Is it worth it? I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. To be fair, mo most of like the last few sort of podcasts I've done, I could have gone over the sort of time, but it's like, yeah, you you sort of know when when it's time to sort of end with with some guests, but this one, this one's yeah, this one's good. This one's. Still flowing. It's the one that keep, keeps on giving, mate. Keeps on giving. It keeps on going. <laughs> so obviously, 
like you said, you you got involved in the devil's dandruff. Yeah. A bit of the white powder. When did it all come crashing down? Yeah, so so basically I was um I come out of this deep dark hole which is the that's what the first book is written about Charlie Four Kids. I've emerged from this this hole of horrendous financial instability, and it really was bad, mate. It was, it was a difficult time. And I said to myself, I need to get out of this. I've got to find a way to get out because I can't go through what I went through again. It, it, it pretty much nearly killed me because I, I was willing, I was ready to take my life. I, I'd almost, I, I'd sat in the car with a, a knife to my wrist. And I was ready to go, and I didn't. Four of my kids. That, that epiphany it made me think right no nope, I'm not gonna let us beat me so I started to put together an exit strategy so I did in 2008 I set up launch motorsport which is our motorsport company and I didn't really know what I was going to do with it I just knew that I needed to desperately find somewhere and I was making I, once I'd applied so much energy to paying off this debt that I've been landed with this 80 grand debt or it was more than that by the time it finished once that debt was paid I found that the energy I'd use to pay the debt off, I, I could divert to making money and, and putting towards me and my missus and my kids. And although they didn't know what was going on, I realised, well, fuck me, I'm really putting some proper money in here. I'm really doing all right. So well, let's set a motorsport company up because I, I want to get it back into me cars. So I love me motors. So I set up this thing and the plan was to do an event and have like a, like a major quarter mile, if you like, on an airfield. And I didn't really know what to do. So I ended up hiring this airfield uh, called Kemble Airfield near Sirencester and, and I I basically did it for a promotional shoot it was just a jolly to go on this airfield and have a, have a bit of a crack and that's what I did I invited a car club down we had about 30 Subarus a couple of Evos or a few Evos and I hired a film crew and a photographer so right just do what you want make, make, make me a demo video for my company and I, I'm going to start I said, oh, I'll start doing events. That was it. I thought I'll start doing events. So we had a day on the airfield, and it was fucking amazing, mate, driving the cars around, ragging the fuck out of them. We all had a really good time. And then once we finished, the lads, because I, I let them come free of charge, the lads thought, Rich, you got to do another one. I thought, yeah, I don't know, maybe I will. So a couple of months later on, I did another one. Lads loved it again. So that was beginning of 2009. And then they said, we'll pay. Just, just do more. We want to do more of these. So I did, so I started paying them, charging them 50 quid a head, which is still cheap. Come down the airfield, I'll set up an event. I've got Marshalls, St. John's Ambulance, Ballard, literally bought hundreds of traffic cones, made a circuit up. I started doing events right through 2009. And then, right now, I think it's April, I went to Castle Coombe Circuit. I went on my first track day. And I was bitten, mate. I was bitten by the bugs so badly. And for the first time ever, I found something which gave me as much of a rush and a way of life and everything else as the army and taking ecstasy and everything else did. It, it, it ticked all those boxes again. And I felt I'm actually pretty good at this driving lark as well. So right through 2009, I went to a few, as many track days as I could along as well as, as well as doing airfield days. And then in July, I competed in time attack. It brands out my first professional or it was amateur, but a professional event competing. Loved it. Went back and did it again in September. So right through 2000, I just hit it hard. Absolutely nailed the track days. Spent stupid money on cars, stupid money on cars, just to get them up to this spec. And I was modifying the fuck out of them. 
And then 2010, it got even more serious. I thought, this is it now. I'm, I'm, I'm heading out. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open a garage up. I've got a customer base from the events. My name is known out there now in, in, in the motorsport industry with the Japanese cars. So 2010, I went semi-professional. I went and, did, went and in, I competed in Pro Time Attack and saloon racing in, in my Evo. And I found it, mate. I found something which actually appealed to me again. I thought, this is it. I finally found something after... 15 years of being out of the forces, I finally found something which, which I enjoyed doing that and it could produce a wage. Trouble is it needed a bit of money thrown into it because it was during a recession. So yeah. there wasn't a lot of dust around. So I, this had been, you'd have been in the forces a couple of years at this stage. So it was hard, mate. It was really hard to try and fund something when no one else is doing well. You're the only person that's actually doing all right. Well, not the only person, but you know, fuck me, where did this company come from? It just sprung from nowhere. It, yeah, yeah. It, it must have looked awful from the outside looking in. I mean, this guy's done well with relatively no apparent income to, in, to to inject into it. How the fuck did he do that? So during the 2010 season, it was my best year and my worst year. I opened the garage in, in October. 1st of October 2010, the garage opened up. And then the arrest started that back in that month. So that was when it started happening. So uh, my good friend... He was my first runner to be taken down. None of since 1986. We're, we go back a very long way. He was arrested and remanded with about one and a quarter kilos of coke. And it, it was a sequence of arrests then. Even though yeah. I was shutting down, there was, there, was, there was someone in the background who was the police informant was, was kind of, I was supposed manipulating things in order to, to secure things for the police. So if I didn't want to say, look, I'm shutting it down, he, would, he was running my drug business if I want to shut down he would say ah, let's do another run no 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 go on let's do oh, another yeah, one yeah. and he would kind of like fuck it yeah we need the money because he knew I was broke no money coming in from the drugs I'd shut down and we'd do another one another arrest and the last bit of coke I ever sold was was um, uh, December 31st New Year's Eve 2010 that was the last thing I had anything to do with that was it never been never had anything to do with any sort of any drugs since then and that was it then. so the arrest for me came some four months later on in, in April. They they finally got all the stuff they needed. Yeah. They knew I was on the way out. They they had enough to secure a a, a charge for conspiracy. So they come and nicked me on the I think it's the thirteenth of April twenty eleven. And that was it. They nicked us all or nicked all of my conspiracy. And then there was another arrest two months later on with my suppliers, another conspiracy. And then the police from that one came and arrested me again. I charged me again for another conspiracy. I had two charges, two counts of conspiracy against me. So I was fucked. <laughs> Winning, mate. Fucked. Winning. <laughs> you, you, yeah. <laughs> in Monopoly, you now can go to jail. Yeah, do not pass go. Shut down your motorcycle. Did, did you sort of in the back of your mind know that that could that that was all that could have always happened at any moment? You were always sort of living on that edge. Yeah. And then it's just yeah. a bit of a kick in the nuts that you were winding down, you're about to finish and get out completely, and then they're like, ah, we got you. Yeah. Well, it's, exa- it's exactly that. You, you, you're kind of all, all through it from day one. You're, you've got people around you getting arrested for various, varying usually drug-related offences, and as you're going through your career and climbing up this ladder, I never get to the top, but I got, pretty, I got to regional supply, which is pretty fucking high, and you're seeing people getting arrested near you, getting longer and longer sentences as they're mm. as you're going further down this road. And you're thinking, if I get caught, cool, I'm proper in trouble here. I'm going to be looking at 
he's just had a 10. So I'm looking at at least 10. In the back of your mind, you should be having your mind ready for the fact that you're going to get nicked. It's going to happen. Mm. And that's where it was. So when, it, when I finally did get arrested, it wasn't, I knew it was coming because of the arrest. I, I knew it was just a matter of time. I, I hoped it wouldn't. And I put as much damage limitation in place as I could leading up to that. But when it happened, it's like, it's just, it's just a mixture of emotion. You think first it was like, fucking hell, here we go then. And then it's like, you go into like a semi-state of shock, not fear, but just shock. Cause you're, you're trying to process it, but you can't process it because if you've never been arrested before for something of that gravity, yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. You, you, a lot of people get arrested for little things and they build up that process. They get used to that arrest process for a fucking couple of pills or a bit of pot. No, I got arrested for conspiracy like cocaine. The first ever arrest, first ever arrest, was a biggie. So there is no preparation for the gravity of what's about to happen because yeah. most people get a nick for something of that size. I've normally had a nick in of some some kind before they they understand the process i didn't i only knew what i'd been told and what i'd seen on telly you know so it was a hell of a it wasn't a shock it was just a massive thing to try and get your head around and and it was hard because obviously my none of my family knew what was going on so then dealing with that as well as well as dealing with trying to secure your freedom and everything else trying to deal with how the fact do i explain to my loved ones that i've turned into a right cunt (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you know you know the guy that you think you know yeah I, I I also have this. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> meet, meet the other rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this is you. You know, Richard. This is this is rich. <laughs> yeah. Two very different people. <laughs> so, when you when you were about to make your way to Her Majesty's privilege, yeah. Um, yeah. Did did you then? sort of go back on a decline like like you said you got yourself out of the the fucking dark hole which mm. a, a lot of forces members were in or have been in so yeah it's it was you know a lot of a lot of my listeners especially will sort of understand what you mean when you say you're in that dark hole not to the extent of coming from a fucking drug dealing background <laughs> the, yeah but the, when you when you were on your way did you go oh fucking hell this is it now yeah do, do you know what the the constant exposure to that world is like being off operational du- duty all the time imagine being in afghanistan for 15 years and mm. you might not be necessarily getting shot at you might not necessarily be getting blown up but you you run the risk of it all the time and that's what it's like. So imagine 15 years of being on hyper state of vigilance. It's kind of like takes its toll. So, and I, I've been exposed to a lot of trauma through risk of kidnap and, and, and mm. torture and all these different things, which could have happened had I not navigated my way successfully through it. And I've had threats of kidnap. I've had threats of torture. I've had all these threats. They've all come through. And they take their toll, mate. They really do. They, they battle, they battle your mental health. They battle you completely so that you, you, you end up with PTSD. There's no other way to say it. And it's not combat related. And I, I, I do feel embarrassed to say that I inherited my PTSD because of my illegal activities. It's, it's shameful because I've got plenty of good veterans out there who are suffering badly. Yeah, I get, I get, your, and I, I get where you're coming from with that, but at the same instance you know it, it 
it's still a horrible thing to to have, even though a yeah. lot of people a lot of people will go, well, he fucking deserves that for what he's done. But yeah, and no, and, I, and you know what, I but, I I kind I kind of go with it. <laughs> yeah, but but also nobody but it's, um, nobody should have to go through battling those types of demons that you do get with depression and PTSD because it, it's yeah. that is. That is punishment in itself. Yeah, it's totally debilitating. And what, what I found once I... Because I didn't know I had it. I honestly didn't know I had PTSD. I knew I'd suffer with stress and anxiety. That was that was proper bad. And my mm. mate from the charity called The Bridge Charity Chapel quarterback delivers the MDR, and, and he's brilliant. And he'd said to these... He'd been, he used to come in the prisons and, and help veterans, and he's, he's helped a lot of people. And he said, you, he said, you do know you've got PTSD. I said... I am. It's just me being a fucking idiot from my my days. I've just got to deal with it. And it's typical standard squaddy thing. No, you. Yep. I can help you with your anxiety and your stress. And because I didn't realize I had triggers. I have. I had so many triggers, which I didn't even realize. And I and I, I didn't know I had them because my my triggers were knocks on the door. Because when you're involved in drugs, if you get a knock on the door. It's very rarely is it good news. It's always yeah, going to be the yeah. police or someone coming to kidnap you. So you automatically, I get a knock on the door and I'll go into a hyper state of fucking readiness. I'll be reaching for whatever's near me, like the kitchen, knives, fucking bed, bedroom, basement. I, I'd be unrealistically fucking stupid. And, and he said, your triggers are door knock, knocking, certain ringtones, mm. a whole number of different things. Some particular phone calls which I'd received, which were quite... Uh, worrying should I say so he said look let me treat you for this PTSD so when I'd, I've been out of prison for about a year and it was during the lockdown um, medical so he's allowed to come and see me um, it was in 2020 and he came and sat in my little house and he sat down he got his kit out for his EMDR kit with his, his light strobe in the front and these two little vibrating love eggs <laughs> pebbles they were which hold on to you love and it. he said right off we go and um me love those mate i didn't insert them and uh i just i just started and that was it um and 40 minutes later on i was fixed mate i was better literally 40 minutes later on no more anxiety no more stress no more triggers the door could knock whenever it liked it didn't matter it that's didn't bother me anymore and I, I couldn't believe it how it worked that's some Changed sort of fucking totally, mate. harry totally potter shit mind. that mate that's harry potter shit very good who is this wizard yeah, and why is he not any, why is he not given more money <laughs> give that guy exactly, all the money mate. well EMDR is quite <laughs> give him all the dos he's setting up a um, a retreat in Bulgaria now for, for veterans to go in and deal with their PTSD he's just setting it up now but if anyone has got PTSD or triggers or anxiety and stress Google EMDR therapy music listen to that What's follow the instructions and the other one is Google the EMDR butterfly hug is this is self-help methods cool. works with your extremities and and your left yeah, and right yeah. brain hemispheres and it helps to settle your your um your triggers so it's really good stuff mate it's very clever emdr itself is 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 amazing it works with the majority of people but the, the butterfly and that is good stuff you can do on your own hmm. if you're suffering so mate life-changing absolutely life-changing it's brilliant that, that's awesome so rich is going to give me all that information i'll put it in the uh in the in the fucking bio bit we'll get we'll get that out to to you fuckers that bit but, down there. yeah <laughs> that bit down there um 
the stuff I, I, I've spoke about, the the methods that I used to help me with my my shit. Um, I went yeah. through um, a, a company, very close, a very good friend of mine now, Al McGregor yeah. in Inner Armour. And unfortunately, Inner Armour is no longer a thing, which is an absolute That's a shame. It, yeah, it's a huge shame. Um, basically, yeah. he was trying to get in, involved with the police and the military. His stuff, it fucking works. It worked with me. It works with everyone. It's a, it's based on a, yeah. a Swedish technique where Swedish or Swiss, Swedish. Um, basically, you you use Lego basically, and you go through okay. your you go through your traumas and you build them, and then you explain them and yeah. getting you to talk about it through the so you could build whatever I built loads yeah. of shit and you talk yeah. through it. And then the next one would be your journey to getting better. How would you see that? And then you'd build it and then you would talk about it. And basically the more you're building and talking, the more of the release that you get. Mm. And then that's one stage. Did you and think then... that's part of... Yeah. Carry on. Did you think that using a leg with your hand is, is, in the principle using the extremities of left and right brain so you're you're yeah, talking quite. about something and therefore you're rewiring your brain yeah yeah okay it could well be i'm not um i'm no fucking subject matter expert um but <laughs> yeah the other the other one there's um certain questions is that I, I can't, i'd have to get the sheet out i've got the sheet and it i think it's mm. 20 26 questions you literally ask these 26 yeah. questions and then you you show a bit of empathy with the with the reaction that they give back, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's like yeah. how you would say something like, oh, but how did you feel about giving that? And then they would then speak about that again. And then you're like, oh, right. You said this earlier. Yeah. Did you? And then literally I went through it. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, I never really thought of that. Never. Didn't. Yeah. I, did, I didn't even realise that. It's just these little things. And then there's a there's yeah. one to help calm you down um, was the the perfect day, so you would go through your perfect day, but everybody starts the same because they don't realise the actual technique. So it starts yeah. to go your perfect day. What time do you get up? And you go, well, I usually get up about nine o'clock or six o'clock or whatever it is. But he's like, no, it's your perfect day. Yeah. You can get up whenever you want. It doesn't matter. You could sleep all day. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. right, it's my perfect day. And then you like sort of go, right. And then you'll describe you like, where are you in the world? Oh, I'm in fucking Malta. Who are you with? Oh, I'm with my family because they make me feel happy. All right, what are you doing? With you? And then it's like, yeah. by the end of it, you're like, oh, I feel fucking really good. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's brilliant. See, you should think outside the box a little bit then. If what, yeah, what you, yeah. It's, def it's definitely out an outside of yeah. the box. It's definitely an outside of the box sort of course. Yeah. But oh, definitely, cool. definitely so, works. What, what's it called? It's called Inner Armour. What's it called? The ther Has it got a particular name? Yeah, it, it literally armor. was called Inner Armour. He's, he's now in schools doing um, psychology. Pos yeah. Positive psychology goes through. Um, and he, you know, I think he does one-to-one -one yeah. lectures and things like that now. He, he is really, really good. And it's just a shame that, that his baby didn't take off because it was, it was, it yeah. was something else. I've, I'll, I'll send you the link to the two, the two episodes um, that he did with me. He did part one yeah. before I did the course or the coaching from him. 
yeah. and then part two, and there's it's two completely different sort of tomos, you might say. But yeah. we've done a big cool. full round trip now, Jonah. What we have, what, mate? What's, go, what's have going on really... now? So you're now reformed, you might say, a respectable member yeah, of society. So I... You're you're not an absolute drug, you know drug selling cunt. You're a <laughs> no, I'm just a cunt. <laughs> but you're you're giving back now, uh, though. You're giving back. You're um yeah, so, doing stuff within the in the, in the nick. So basically, yeah. So I've got I've got I've got a contract or a loose contract with two prisons, as I said, G first delivering my program project TLS. So I've got a website. If anyone if anyone does see it, it's project-tls.co.uk. We'll stick it on the thing. That's what I'm doing in the prisons. I'm supporting veterans in custody. I'm I'm gonna start writing the next book hopefully this month because I'm gonna have a little bit of time to do that. So that's part three, which is going to be called Overseas Operations, which is a which is a continuation from Charlie for Kilo. I've just going for the red i'm just cutting through the red tape to support um young offenders but but that it's like a youth offending team but they're not quite going to prison yet but they're getting close so i'm spending time with these sort of young people it's not set yet but we've, we've been really trying to get through this for about a year now so that's going to be happening fairly soon yeah there's loads mate there's loads as, as well as um being a dad and a, and a and someone's boyfriend so yeah, it's really busy times. Yeah, there's there's never enough hours in the day, really. But it never is, mate. There never it's is. It's nice because I'm I'm doing there is mate. I'm I'm happy to do like you know 16, 17 hour days because it's doing something which I which I which I love. So I'm happy to do all the hours in the world as long as I'm doing the right thing. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's that I'm old busy, saying, isn't it? If if you enjoy doing it, it's not really work. Exactly, mate. And it doesn't feel like work. It is. It doesn't mean it doesn't come without its. How can I put it? It's it's weird going back into the prisons, yeah, to deliver a course, especially especially if it's a prison that I might be familiar with. It's weird going in because of you're going back into the jail, get used to that environment again. That's odd, but it's nice to walk out. <laughs> you yeah, walk yeah. Home every day. Yeah, not going back into the the cell and having the door shut, which has got to be a weird feeling anyway. Going yeah. back to going back to your time in inside. That must have yeah. that must have been really strange. Yeah. Like I, I had little stories from me from my old man. Obviously, my old man was a prison officer in Gloucester. Um, yeah. So, but he he had a very good rapport with um with the cons that were in there. That they yeah. called him. They called him Mister Tom. Or, was really good. Um, I think it, I think yeah. With, with 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 my old man, I think because of he, he's. How do you put it? He's got a presence. Like, yeah, you 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 sort of know he's not someone that you. Bear in mind, I don't even think my dad's had a real a, a proper real fight ever, really, because he doesn't yeah. need to. He's one of those sort of guys that you're like, oh, oh well, we'll just leave him. He's got a very gruff sort of rough yeah. voice. He's very deep and like if he raises his voice, you're like, oh fucking hell, chill out. Like he's one of those yeah. type of guys. Yeah. And yeah, he just had a yeah. good rapport with 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 the cons, like, and that 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 happens, though, mate, because you get some really decent officers in there, and you 
if they if they've got some basic life skills, which most people of a certain age shouldn't should should develop those anyway. Yeah, yeah. They make a good officer. They just got to treat you right. And and you know, being in being locked up in a cell, it's one of the most. If you know you're there, and you can't. And you ain't. You you do when you're doing your time, and you're in that routine, and you've been out working all day because we do have jobs. We we we, we keep ourselves in some sort of productive activity, earning a little bit of money, having a few things away if we can. Do you know what's the nicest thing about that day when they lock you up at night? You get there, they bang you up, up past seven, lock the door out, and you think, oh, you're totally safe. You're totally devoid of any responsibility. Yeah. You've got nothing to do, especially on a weekend. You get locked up at, say, half past four. It's fucking lovely, mate, because your door locks, you're, you're bound to the next point. So half past eight in the morning, you're just, just in your own space. If you're in your own soul, that is. Get your Xbox on, they go watch a bit of telly. You know, you just chill out, mate, and you feel so safe because... If you do suffer with PTSD, stress or anxiety, you know that you there ain't no safer place to be is in that cell. So all of a sudden you can switch off. Yeah, yeah. You switch off that that anxiety because ain't no one coming in. The only thing that triggers it is if you're in a key you're past it early in the morning when you when you're not supposed to be unlocked, it means someone's getting ghosted. There's nothing worse than you're in a key you're outside your pellet cell at say six in the morning or half six. You know someone's going. So that's that's never good. But other than that, mate, it's it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, as, I'd probably be at mind, but yeah, as 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 things go, you know. Did it? Did you ever feel like on edge from any of the other cons in there, or is there like no fucking I, I, big wigs and like like you see in the fucking movies? You got fucking Don John over there, fucking being Billy Big Bollocks, or is there people trying to make a name for themselves? You've got like. Not really, mate. It's like a big... If you're a bit more mature, the grown-ups, I, I, anyone that's, say, over 30 or over 35, maybe, in that environment are generally pretty sensible and they're not interested in the bullshit. Anyone that's over that age is being a dickhead. It's just a pure dickhead anyway. You just, just ignore them. They're not even worth a wank. Yeah. So most people are generally pretty, pretty settled. So you just tend to get on with it, mate. You just get on with it. You've got big lads. You've got big dangerous lads are, are capable of causing absolute mayhem but but they're not because they don't need to they don't have yeah. to no one's no one's when you're in for a long sentence for example you've got nothing to prove because you're you're already proven the fact you're you're in the higher yeah. tier if you like of the, the criminal world because you, you're getting a 15 or 20 years so they got the guys passing through on the short sentences not all but the ones which are problematic kicking off or doing the shits and shades that go and they're doing the 18 months they stay the fuck away from you because to you they're like long term or mate lifers they don't come anywhere near you just leave you alone so yeah, I've never had any problems no, no dramas no issues that's saying isn't it all you've got is time why, yeah, why, why would you why would you want to make life why would you want to make life more difficult for yourself inside by kicking off all the time yeah yeah, and plenty of people do. Plenty of people just don't don't know how to do it. They they can either they can't do prison the right way. They they can't help themselves, yeah. or they just they just don't get it. They're they're meant they're maybe their mental health is a problem. So like Charlie Bronson, he loves mate, a bit of prison. <laughs> exactly, mate. Old Charlie can't get enough. <laughs> he loves a bit of prison. That is a crazy. Well, I've read the book and, and seen the movie, obviously, and sort of know the story. But that's yeah. it's as though he was attached to is attached to prison a bit too much. When he got out, he was like, "I don't know what to do. I need to get back in." Yeah, 
yeah, definitely, mate. He found somewhere where he found somewhere where he actually meant something, which which where he was somebody. And that yeah. that's the thing is in prison, some people who who get this form of recognition inside, they feel like there's somebody important inside. They're not. It's living. It's storming a teacup. When they get out, they don't feel like they're anybody at all. That's not their world. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's sad, really, mate. It's really sad. Right, yeah. I'm I'm really chuffed though that you've you've spun it around and you know. Uh helping people rehabilitate themselves on the way out. And like you said, helping yeah. kids, helping kids that are on the verge of becoming fucking dickheads. Mate, I, I don't, I don't know if I sent it to you, but I did, I definitely put it on my story oh. on, um, on Instagram the other day. I was shocked, mate, but it is literally what London is like in, in places. Yeah. And there was this, from what I've heard, she was actually a disabled lady, but she's surrounded by yeah. a, a group of school kids in South Norwood, yeah. which is a shithole. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not afraid to say it. I'm in Kent. I can call you guys shithole. Anyway, <laughs> but they're, they're, she, she's surrounded by all these kids. They've literally, it's like the end of school or something like that. And someone has yeah. started gobbing off to this lady and she's taken offence. And by all accounts, she's disabled. So she's lashed out and hit this kid. Yeah, she must. She she's older than him by a, a stretch. He's only he must yeah. have could only be fourteen, fifteen max, I would say. Yeah. But this cunt pulls yeah. out a fucking knife and stabs her. I'm like, no way. Yeah, but it's not once. Like she he hits her with a knife, she falls down, and he gets her a couple of more times. I don't think there were fatal blows because he's fucking poking her a bit with this knife. But it's like, why the yeah. fuck are you carrying a knife to school? Yeah. It's crazy, just, isn't it? They've I just no... don't get it. But it's that's no. I, I was saying to me, Mrs. I was like, that's why I hate going to London because, yeah. Uh, it, luckily, we get when we do go to London, we um we go to the touristy spots, so it's yeah. a bit different. But when I was working for Loomis, doing the cash mm. and transit, even when I was doing surveillance, I was working in London, but not in yeah. London. I was in the horrible bits. And yeah, it's, it, but it's horrible. Fucking not it's horrible. They just got no value for life. They 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 don't. It's everything's been de devalued so much, and I don't know. I don't know why that is. It just seems to be. It's just getting progressively worse and worse. And I think it's maybe. Oh, this is about maybe some people have come from slightly more hardy backgrounds from different countries. Maybe life means less where they've come from. Therefore, mm. they're stabbing the fuck out of people, and, and maybe. People that aren't used to that have taken up arms as a case of shit, man. These guys are just stabbing you because they don't give a fuck. So I'm going yeah. to carry enough because I might need to protect myself. I don't know. It, it's just seems it is like crazy though because obviously yeah. you're you're Bristol originally. You're from, aren't you? And I'm yeah. I'm Hereford. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it's like. Bristol a big a bit of a bigger city than than Hereford. I don't think it's much bigger, but it's definitely a bigger city. But um, There's certainly no, no, yeah, no yeah, shit. I, like. I remember I'd go out on the piss, and if you got in a scuffle with someone, you got you got into a fist fight. Yeah, it, yeah. That's... I think one of one of my brother's uh, close mates did get stabbed a few times on a night out. Like that yeah. was like a that was like a, a oh my god, someone's been stabbed. Like it wasn't like yeah, in like North they, London they, now where it's like oh someone's been stabbed again. It's as though yeah. like they shrug it off. Yeah, it like yeah. higher ups. I mean, like the fucking dickhead yeah, mayor of London and Boris. Yeah, it's like, like, it, they're not bust. It's like oh, it, 
Yeah. It's fucking madness. Oh, well. It's another one. Not to worry. They'll, they'll soon run out of people to stab. But they're, they're, they're the first ones to start going, well, it's not like America. They shoot people. It's like... Yeah. There's probably more knife incidences than people getting shot. But oh, I don't yeah. know. That's, a, that's another rabbit hole that we could go down for another time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, but indeed. But, Rich, like I said earlier, yeah. you get to a point where it's like... We'll leave it and then we'll continue another time. And not only not only because it's coming up to nine, which is awesome. What a fucking episode this has been. You're getting a bit dark, mate. <laughs> I can just see my head. I can just like I see my arms in my head. <laughs> it's like a green screen. <laughs> yeah, mate. I know we've lost the light. We've the lost the light. Gone down. And, uh, I, know, I could put a light on, but it might flicker a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could. And to be fair, I haven't seen a long-haired colonel yet. And she'll probably be going, oh, you said it was going to be a short one. I always say that. <laughs> she knows different, though. Yeah. I always say that. How long's your podcast going to be? Well, could it, it'll only be a short one, two and a half hours later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the way we roll, mate. That's, that's, that's how we roll. we roll. But, mate, what a story. Yeah, and... Seriously, my honour, my privilege to have you on. It was fucking very eye-opening. And next no, time, not... next time you'll be in the guest seat. We'll do it properly. Yeah, mate, definitely. Thanks for having me on, bud. I've enjoyed it. It's good to meet you as well. It'll be nice to see you and get down in the shed and uh, you know, just have a proper chat. Definitely, indeed. mate. Indeed, mate. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, sir. And I'll Take catch you Take care, bud. Look after yourself. Cheers, buddy. Yes, mate. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Catch you in a bit.